Welcome, everyone, to the 20th episode of POV Crypto. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing well, man. In Los Angeles at the White Block Studios this time, here with my good friend, Zach Cole. Some of you may have heard of Zach Cole. He's been ruffling feathers for the past year. Zach, why don't you introduce yourself? Hey, hey, hey. What's up? (laughs) (laughs) Zach Cole from White Block here. It's your boy coming at you live from sunny Los Angeles, California. That has definitely been our most uh, energetic introduction on the show, so we can definitely appreciate that. Zach, you want to tell our audience what you do and how you got into crypto and a little bit about yourself? Yeah, I am the chief trolling officer at White Block, and we are a blockchain testing company. Uh, we've been around for about a year now. Uh, just testing protocols and breaking hearts and uh, just kind of going at it, you know. So that's what we do. What does testing mean when you, when you say you're testing protocols? What came for our viewers? Can you uh, illustrate that a little bit? Yeah, so we test a wide variety of things. It's mostly performance tests, but it also includes like security testing and it's pretty much practical testing. So we're trying to test how these protocols and these systems actually perform under real world conditions. Because when you're developing, especially for blockchain, because it's a distributed and asynchronous process, it's really difficult to understand how you're actually going to, how your protocol or your application or whatever is actually going to perform in the real world Um, because when you're developing in your office or whatever you're on a local area network you're on one machine and it's really difficult to try to replicate the distributed nature of a peer-to-peer network that blockchain is right our uh, our platform kind of emulates those network conditions between nodes so we can spin up multiple nodes that are all running the particular client and then we can configure the network parameters between those nodes with like latency or packet loss or whatever so that way it actually replicates like a distributed global network um, and it's way better than a shitty public testnet because uh, on a public testnet there's no it's non-deterministic you don't really have any control control over any of the uh, configuration or the variables or any of the performance. So if something goes wrong, how do you correct that and account for that? You can't really recreate those situations. So the process of developing in blockchain is like really, really long and crappy. And then once you go live, you're kind of crossing your fingers and hoping that nothing screws up. And then you end up in a situation like, you know, CryptoKitties or like uh, Neo's lack of fault tolerance or like, you know, a whole number of things that are pretty crappy. That's actually, uh, those are some pretty hilarious examples there, Zach. <laughs> I know that, you know, again, you kind of made a name for yourself testing out EOS and you've tested out a bunch of different platforms. Do you kind of want to talk about, uh, you know, a little bit of that and then we can dive into uh, some other interesting stories that you've experienced while you've been building out White Block? Sure, yeah. I mean, like all shit talking aside, you know, like over the past year, not so much like the past six months or so, but like before everybody really started to taste the blood from the bear market, people are coming out with like these crazy claims, like million transactions per second, 10 million transactions per second. We can do this. We can do that. And it was pretty much like a dream and a white paper could get you like a few million dollars. Only Nobody, a few? Yeah, or more or four billion, right? But but there's like no no one who's holding these companies accountable. It's like this gullible market of like dudes who want to buy Lambos and like live on the moon or whatever the hell it is. And like uh, the systems and the the teams that are raising these this money, like they're not delivering anything. Uh, very very few of them are delivering anything. And we're obviously bathing in the blood of these companies and teams right now. But you know, it, it's about time that like somebody really kind of like forces these these projects to put their money where their mouth is. And I mean, we've we've worked exclusively with blockchain. We come from a testing background. We're all network engineers and developers. And I mean, it's not hard for us to like recreate these situations and try to observe how these systems perform under pressure. And they're very rarely, if ever, uh, the, uh, live up to the, the claims, right? So one of those, I think the king of that was EOS. You know, they raised like $4 billion. It's crazy. And then they released and the client was definitely not a $4 billion client. And, um, and then they say like, oh, it's up to the community to finish developing this this like platform, which is nonsense. It's like it's like going to buy a Tesla, and then they like give you a box full of parts, and they're like, yo, man, it's up to you to like build. It's this. all here. <laughs> yeah, here you go, man. 
it's up to you to build this now. You know, we gave you the we gave you the parts and the pieces. Like, now give us a hundred thousand dollars. Not much different than that. And I I think that shit is really really bad for the space because I want a job in ten years, and I really believe in like the spirit of blockchain and the technology and i think that it just kind of makes everybody look like a bunch of like idiots so tell us the story of your actual testing with eos like give, give us the the juicy details on that one yeah i mean we tested it for quite a while it was really difficult to even get to compile properly their documentation was completely lackluster to say the least like some of their some of their commands like where you would go to find where their rpc calls were defined or whatever uh had lorem ipsum in them so we like literally had to like run the commands uh, with through Wireshark to packet sniff um, the uh, to identify what the expected output is, so that way we could just run the tests and get it working and functional. And then uh, I, I didn't really think anybody would pay attention to any of our uh, to our results or anything like that because no one no one had ever before really outside of like the few niche communities that we worked with like Ubic and stuff like that and like Syscoin. So we ran the tests. It took us forever to finally get it going, and it's really difficult to work with and. The code base itself looked like, you know, 30 people who had never even talked to one another who weren't ever in the same room uh, wrote it, right? <laughs> so it was like, it was really shoddy. And a lot of it was just using standard boost libraries that were just imported libraries. And then a lot of it was actually based on BitShares, which was Dan Larimer's original project. And so it's recycled pretty, code? Yeah, no, it's pretty funny though, because like I had to like search to find the BitShares original white paper. I had to like go to the archive like way back machine because they like removed all that shit because if you look at the original BitShares paper all the language and everything is is identical to eos so what it's no like way. they just yeah no no they they changed some of the words it's like they took all the money from BitShares, raised a bunch of money put it all into marketing because they have sweet merch like you know like like at the eos hackathon they're giving out patagonia jackets like that's wow. Yeah, I'd wear that. Like, Damn, I would, if it didn't have EOS on it, <laughs> I'd wear it even with EOS. I don't care. <laughs> you know? And then like, and uh, Patagonia is Patagonia. <laughs> yeah, dude, come on. I'm wearing Birkenstocks. I need my Patagonia. Like, you know, like, and then like, uh, uh, yeah, it's like they took like all that money that they raised and everything, and they put it all into uh, marketing. They changed a lot of the language, and they just like repackaged BitShares essentially. So what was the ultimate outcome on the EOS scale? Did you guys end up getting some numbers on that? Yeah, so like their claims originally were like a million transactions per second. And everyone was like, wow, a million transactions. And then eventually they like lowered it to like 500,000, then like 200,000. And then like, pr like around the time we started, or probably like a couple, maybe like a month into our tests, it was like 50,000. And then right before we released everything, they were like, okay, it's like 4,000. Actually, I didn't even know 4,000 was what they were claiming until we released our results. Because they were like, we do 4,000 transactions per second. But our results were like 50 to 250 transactions per second under uh, like realistic network conditions, like latency, uh, packet loss, the same stuff that you would see in like a live wide area network, like on the internet, in the real world. So we did get 4,000 transactions per second when the block producer and the transacting client were either on the, were like on the same machine pretty much and there was no latency, like network latency at all, just like logical latency. They got like three to 4,000 transactions per second. I didn't include that in our report because uh, like one, I didn't know they were claiming three to 4,000 transactions per second and two, um, we're trying to report under like realistic conditions, so it's kind of worthless to report what they can do under ideal conditions. Nobody cares what you can do in a vacuum. Like I want to know what you do in the real world. Like that's all that matters to me, and that's the point of our tests. Anybody can test without the realistic conditions. Like what makes us special is that we can test with a high degree of accuracy, like nanosecond accuracy to what you would find in the real world. So Zach, I know that you are a fan of Ethereum as well as uh, several other cryptocurrencies that are a little bit more battle tested than EOS. How does the EOS test kind of compare to something like Ethereum, which is supposed to be, you know, dwarfed by this 21 block producer EOS system? Well, I mean, it, as far as transactional throughput is concerned, EOS takes the cake, but I don't really care about throughput, honestly. It's like a highly centralized system. 
So, like, all of the sacrifices they make. Well, it's only one order of magnitude better anyways. Like, if that's what you get for centralization. Yeah, it's hardly any better. So they, like, make all of these sacrifices to try to increase their and improve their performance, but they don't actually get anything out of it. Like, it, like we get barely any throughput. Like, you know, and I don't want a highly centralized system that can be censored. And it's, like, funny because they, like, change definitions for a lot of things and it's like i don't know it just isn't i don't know i i i argued with them forever so as soon as we released those reports i was like added to a telegram group with called eos white block and it had like a hundred people in it that were all the heads from the leads from block one and all of the block producers and they just spent like all day like for weeks on end just like berating me <laughs> and like for what trying to disprove our results and saying that like we didn't know what we were doing and like just being generally condescending making a lot of crazy claims and I didn't really want to like argue with them I was like hey if you guys want us to run the tests again in collaboration with like you and your team or eat like block one or any of the block producers like I will gladly do that because I mean personal feelings aside like and I honestly I don't give a shit if it's like EOS versus Ethereum I don't care about any of that like I don't have a dog in the fight you know so I was about to say it sounds like everyone in that telegram group had millions and millions of dollars at stake and you didn't I was like you know I'll do whatever it takes like I'll I'll collaborate I'll be collaborative I'll help um, I'll run the tests again and then I was like, well, yeah, like, we'll run the test again. Like, we're going to have to charge you. It's not like, it's not free. We can't run it for free because it costs us a significant amount to just run the tests and infrastructure costs. But I'll like run the tests at cost, essentially. And then they like took that and they were like, oh, yeah, you're just trying to make money, blah, blah. I'm like, dude, what, what are you talking about? Of course I'm trying to make money, one. <laughs> like, two, you're not trying to make money? Like, you're not in this for money? Like, get out of here, dude. Get out. Get real. Like, you know, and then, you know, and we're a for-profit company. Like, I'm a capitalist. I'm a proponent of open market, free market capitalism. If you guys want to come at me with your, like, Ayn Rand crap and then, like, get angry that I'm not going to provide services for free, you can go eat a copy of Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> Oh my gosh, this is awesome. This is awesome. That is an insane story. Beyond EOS, uh, we don't want to focus on EOS. We don't want to give them that much uh, time on the podcast. What other projects have you uh, ha that you can disclose, like, have you been working with where, one, they severely overestimated uh, what they're actually delivering? Mm -hmm. And then on the flip side, which other ones have you tested out and be like, wow, this is actually, like, you know, pretty sick technology? Right off the top of my head, like, for a project that, like, makes crazy claims and doesn't deliver at all is would be Komodo. They have a really crazy, they, they do math. They have a very goofy way of doing math. So they're like, oh, we can do a million transactions per second, right? Because they have all of these side chains that are operating independently of one another. And then they calculate throughput by adding up the uh, total throughput of each individual side chain. So then that can equal like a million transactions per second if there's like 100,000 sidechains. And an analogy I like to use to kind of explain why that's bogus is saying like, we don't really calculate the, the speed, the average speed of a Honda Civic by adding up the speeds of every single Honda Civic that's driving simultaneously, <laughs> right? We, add a, we, we calculate the average time, like speed of a Honda Civic by measuring the speed of an individual Honda Civic, right? So it, right, that's a good so analogy. it's not really fair. That's like that's like measuring Ethereum speed by using state channels. Right, exactly. It doesn't work like that. It, it doesn't really like make sense. So that's one thing that I would think right off the top of my head. And that's not to say that like Komodo's total crap or anything like that. Some of the stuff they're doing is pretty cool, but um, I think that most of these issues stem from an essential lack of standardized language that's used in blockchain. Some people don't even really agree on what a blockchain is or what is a transaction, what defines a transaction. Like more importantly, like a transactional action. Like what is that, right? I mean, I think that these things are, you know, this is stuff that we all have to work on as a community. 
I don't think we should be tribal about anything. I think that everybody should just kind of come together and right come to consensus <laughs> on like these terms. Yeah, I totally agree. That that is a topic that we could have a whole entire podcast about, like how the blockchain world is really blurring the lines of so many definitions. Uh, so maybe Christian will add that uh, to the list of topics we should get on in the future. Today is Bitcoin's birthday. Bitcoin's been around for 10 years. Zach, I know you've yeah. uh, kind of been in Bitcoin for a while. Why don't you tell us like kind of how you got into this space in general and what you've seen over the past uh, three or four years? I'm probably, I'm probably going to be added to like a government list for talking about um, my history in blockchain and Bitcoin. Let's go way back. You got a pretty cool hat on right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come and take it. So like 2009, or no, 2008, all right? I'm in the military. I'm in the Marine Corps. I'm a network engineer. I'm in Iraq. We build the internet. I work with a bunch of weird nerds. Uh, they get me into like these, this weird, po- weird politics <laughs> and, and introduce me to Tor. Which I just think is cool because it's like a secret. Oh, oh boy. It's like a secret thing, right? It's like, ooh, I'm doing something like bad by just being on tour. This was before I even knew about like, you know, uh, like the the dark net like markets and stuff like that. I was just like, oh, this is a cool kind of thing, right? It's like a secret internet. And then uh, I get out of the Marine Corps, 2009. I go to college and I start to. Uh, you know, get more into computer science and uh, I come across like, you know, Silk Road, <laughs> stuff like that. And uh, I uh, start purchasing uh, goods. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it made my college experience very cool. <laughs> and then, yeah, because you got Microsoft Word for free for those free CD licenses, yeah, right? That's what you're that's getting. That's something like it, yeah. <laughs> I was getting, I was getting, I was purchasing literature. <laughs> <laughs> anarchist's cookbook but uh yeah so I, I was into that for a couple of years i never really thought of i never really thought like bitcoin or blockchain would go anywhere i was just like oh this is like cool thing i can do to like party <laughs> and then um and then as i got a little older i just like got heavily into like computer science and development and engineering and then uh, when ethereum came out i was like oh crap it was like 2015 and I was like, this is cool. It's like they're taking, like, the stuff that was just limited to, like, just basic transactions and kind of, like, building on it. And I know that I know that Bitcoin has a history with that, too. There's, like, colored coins and there's, like, a whole lot of different things. But the thing, the thing was is that Bitcoin had a pretty high barrier to entry. When I first got into it, I was like, I don't know C++. I don't know C, like, uh, language. And I was just like, it just wasn't. It just seemed too complex for me at the time. Uh, but when Ethereum came out, it felt like it kind of like lowered the barrier to entry because it had like Solidity, which is similar to JavaScript. I was working as a front-end developer at the time. It just like made sense. And like smart contracts were more accessible and easier for me to use because I was stupid. So then I started to get really into like blockchain stuff. I uh, cashed out a lot of the, the I, ca- I cashed out a lot of the, the Bitcoin in 2000. Uh, in 2016, in December 2016, I sold a lot of my Bitcoin because I had to no. pay rent. <laughs> With, oh, that's, that's a good reason. Yeah, though. well, I was broke at the time. I had just quit my job and was like moving. I was in between jobs and I was living in Culver City and my rent was like ridiculously expensive. So I had to like sell a lot of the Bitcoin. And it was like 800 bucks at the time. And I was like, it's never going to get higher than 800 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh yeah that was that was pretty that was pretty good and i regret it but whatever who cares yolo you're still here baby you you got into bitcoin you know pretty i feel like there's two types of ways to get into bitcoin it's the the silk road group of people that get into bitcoin that way or there's the people who just buy it on coinbase and the silk road people are often a lot more interesting and they kind of have it figured out Very true. a little bit more they kind of got it a little bit more <laughs> Um, and then you you kind of transitioned over to actually developing on Ethereum, and yeah. now you've pretty much tested like every kind of blockchain out there, at least any you know the ones that you can the ones get the that code work. for. What are you kind of seeing today? And based on you know kind of your experience, you know messing with these protocols, how can you how do yeah. you think you can kind of it's, uh, <coughs> forecast what's you know what is going to happen going forward? It's really crazy because like everything changes like every other day. <laughs> like well, just last week, everyone was like, Ethereum is dead. And then like yesterday I see tweets about like, 
oh, Ethereum is going to flip in Bitcoin. <laughs> like, you know, and then like, it's just, just everything is so like ephemeral, right? But I mean, a big thing that I'm seeing now is obviously like stable coins and stuff like that. And everyone's trying to move into proof of stake, obviously like with EOS, you know, Tezos, all of these other proof of stake iterations. And I don't feel like proof of stake is going to be viable in the short term. Oh, yeah. that's a hot take. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a hot Let's take. Let's get into that. Wait, yeah. I, I just think, I don't think that it's possible to provide the security that's required of a blockchain system by relying exclusively on proof of stake. And I'm not like a maximalist. I'm not like a POW diehard dude. Like people, I hear the arguments every day, like, oh, you know, proof of work expends like this much uh, energy and blah, blah, blah. But like, so does the bank down the street, <laughs> like, you know, like so does the entire financial system. So does like, you know, things that are completely worthless. Like, you know, um, so Christmas lights. Yeah, right. Christmas light. Exactly. <laughs> That's a good one. I have <laughs> Christmas lights, right? Like shit, man. Like, uh, but I mean, proof of work and Bitcoin, like that shit, it's been around for 10 years now. Like it's worked like that works. As of today. You can't yeah. go wrong with that. Like, you know what I mean? Like it's tried and true. So proof of work is not going anywhere. Well, why, why do you think that proof of stake isn't like that? Because proof of stake relies too much on wet code. I mean... Uh, You're talking about some Nick D- Zabo shit right there. Yeah, shout out to Nick Zabo. He's the man. I love him. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, like wet code, right? It relies too much on human elements. I mean, yeah, that's like stuff that Nick Zabos writes about in his early, early works. We want to keep as many hands out of the pot as possible, right? Because we don't want our system to be overtaken by lawyers, you know? <laughs> so uh, uh, I think that relying too much on that human element kind of undermines the essential principles of blockchain, which is to establish trustlessness and to ensure the integrity of transactions, um, you know, in the future and make sure that we can claim self-sovereignty over our assets and, our, and the way that we choose to interact with one another. And I just don't think that proof of stake is capable of doing that. I think that to, to segue into some projects that I think are doing really cool things, Syscoin is one of them. Shout out to Syscoin. They're cool. So they do, they do implement something like proof of stake and a masternode system. And like what they have is like a ZDAG that offers like pretty much instant uh, transactional settlement. Um, it's probabilistic. But all of that, it, it, first of all, it's merge, they merge mine with Bitcoin. So they still have proof of work. Um, so they have proof of stake and they have all the all the cool things about proof of stake without sacrificing the essential security provided by proof of work in Bitcoin. And I think that's really, really cool. I think that's a great idea. And I I don't know why they're not doing better. Um, Maybe it's like a marketing thing or something like that. I don't know. But like they have a pretty good team that consists of smart people. And I think that that's like one of the that's like a good example of what I think would be a good system for the future. I actually haven't looked into this coin very much, so I'll, I'll have to add that to my list of uh, things to research. Just to kind of, and, and I don't want to make this about Syscoin, but what the hell is Syscoin? Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't even know anything about them. Syscoin, so clearly yeah. marketing and when pump is uh, yeah. pretty important here. Yeah, well, um, so they have, uh, so they have like a masternode system and they merge, one, merge mine with Bitcoin and they still provide assets and they have like colored coins, right? So you can still generate and like create assets and kind of do all that. The only thing that's missing from it, I think, is like EVM functionality and like like a robust smart contract system. But, but why does anyone actually need that shit? Well, be, well, here let me get. You. So they have like a ZDAG, right? It's a zero confirmation directed acyclic graph. What they do is they like generate a DAG that consists of all the input output like transactions. And if any of those vertices share the same ingress egress, then it's flagged as a potential double spend. They run it through a Hawick circuit detection algorithm. So it can like probabilistically eliminate any double spends. And if any one of those transactions is flagged, then it defers to proof of work. But if it isn't flagged, then as soon as that transaction hits your mempool, you can essentially spend. So your only limitation is like network latency. Like you don't have to deal with a lot of the processing. As soon as you, as soon as I send you of like a tra- like transfer value to you, when it res- hits your mempool, you can spend. So it's like really quick. So it's really good for like point of sale stuff that needs to be like quick, like market, like markets, commerce. I think that stuff's really cool. 
I can't say for sure because we haven't extensively tested Syscoin. We've just tested throughput um, and run unit tests on ZDAG. So I can't speak for the security of it, but I have like confidence in like the team so far. There are other systems as well that are implementing similar strategies. I just think they've been around for like like five years or something like that already. I feel like some of our more technical uh, listeners are going to kind of get that a lot better than, than we do. We're pretty <laughs> stupid over here. One reason why I'm personally like pretty into Bitcoin is uh, this kind of idea of sound money and Austrian economics. So, w I mean, if what you're talking about, Syscoin, is true, that could be interesting as some sort of a side chain for Bitcoin, something like that, where uh, you don't give up those Austrian economic principles. Right, yep. But, you know, outside of that, um, like, can you talk a little bit about Syscoin's like monetary policy or anything like that? Or is that something that <laughs> I don't know anything about that? I just know about like the technical. I just know about the technical stuff. I don't really read into the theory. I'm not an economist. I'm just a redneck who figured out how to use a computer. Have you ever looked into uh, Nano or any of the architecture behind the Nano platform? Yeah, uh, we haven't tested Nano extensively. I know that like I check out a lot of these, a lot of the GitHubs for these projects, and a lot of them are pretty barren. So. I don't want to like go too much into that, but I remember Nano. That was Ant Shares, right? Hmm. They weren't Ant Shares. No, that's that Neo. Neo. Oh yeah, Nano okay. is Rayblox. Oh yeah. Every oh, good yeah, pump yeah. needs, a, re about, needs a rebrand. Uh, yeah, to rebrand, right? Yeah, yeah. I forgot about mm -hmm. that. I haven't heard. I haven't really thought about them since like last, like this time last year. Maybe they were doing pretty well. Yeah, when they went from one to yeah, thirty-seven dollars. Yeah. It's a different <laughs> world now, man. We're we're all older, you know. We like. Moved on to another generation of Pokemon. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you, you've you worked a lot with like Consensus and Ethereum and stuff like that. I'm sure a lot of our listeners who are in the Ethereum community would kind of like to hear your opinion on, you know, some of the work that you've been doing with them and what, you know, what about their tech you like? What about their tech you don't like? Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I don't think, I mean, I am a fan of Ethereum, but... Not necessarily exclusively the technology. I think the community is pretty cool. Because we ran a lot of the same tests that we ran on EOS for Ethereum and we're like, hey, these are security vulnerabilities. This is a shitty this is a shitty function within your system. Here's how you can improve. Like this is bad, right? And nobody got like egotistical about it. They were just like, hey, that's a good point. Thank you for bringing this up. It wasn't really uh, adversarial. And like then they kind of... Uh, uh, then, then I just kept working with them and we've been working with, we've been contributing to like ETH 2.0 development for, man, maybe like seven months now, <laughs> um, like testing sharding and stuff like that. And I think the bottleneck is really, and th there needs to be like a re-architecture of the network stack essentially. And libp2p is trying to do that. And we've been running a lot of tests on libp2p. I mean, it's going to be slow going. I don't really know what the roadmap is claimed publicly right now. I, I would expect some sort of 1.x initiative within the next couple months and 2.0 maybe maybe like six months out or longer. I don't know. Yeah, it's probably going to be going to be uh, likely longer than that, unfortunately. Right. Um, yeah. Part of the design of the roadmap is that there is no hard design. Um, exactly. And I think that's a bottleneck. It's like these decentralized organizations, are, there's like no um, like real leadership, right? So it's like everybody's kind of responsible for just doing whatever they want and throwing whatever they can into the pot. And it kind of like ends up looking like a shit show. And I think that it's like a turning point for Ethereum. It's like everybody needs to like buck up and contribute and build things that work. Or we need to just like go back to our jobs as front end developers at Google. Well, I think that's a pr pretty pessimistic view of the way Ethereum developers work together. I mean, they're they're trying to be centralized and decentralized at the same yeah. time. Uh, they need centralization for efficiency, but they need decentralization because that's what we're here to do. Are you familiar with the uh, the was that? consensus uh meme no i can't remember when it was but there was a bunch of ethereum developers trying to make <laughs> like decide on whether they were going to implement or uh, something yeah, yeah, or not yeah. and in in a in a google hangouts like they all asked for objections and no one objected to anything and then they moved on and then somebody like five minutes later they saw they stop and go like hey wait did we just agree on a thing <laughs> to, to make a change and they're like oh i i guess we did no one said they didn't so then that's how we ended up making well i can't remember what it was i think it was ga a gas limit change or something in ethereum but well don't don't get me wrong i'm not like pessimistic or anything like i, I love ethereum i think that if any project is going to deliver it's going to be the ethereum community i'm like i consider myself a part of that community i just need to be um 
critical because it's really my job. Like someone accused me of sure. hating on EOS or hating on something. And I was thinking like, that's a pretty good way to describe me because my job is to be a hater pretty much. Like when we're running performance tests, we're not pointing out what's good about a system. It's not like a beauty contest, right? Like if you want to be better, you have to be transparent and uh, uh, you have to accept the flaws, right? And you have to not only accept them, but you have to recognize them because how do we build better systems if we don't understand what's, um, you know, uh, preventing them from performing, right? How, how do we become uh, better developers or better people, right? Like you have to be objective. It's a, a super valuable attitude to have. So I, I definitely uh, resonate with that very much. Um, are you familiar with Plasma staking at all or is Plasma as a scaling solution? Yeah, yeah. Plasma, I'm, I mean, I'm, uh, we, mm -hmm. we look at a, a lot of these layer two solutions and um, I mean, there isn't... Have you ever done any testing on that? Yeah, so I tried doing like Omisei Go. We did a, we, we've actually tested a lot of oh, these nice. implementations, but none of them have worked surprisingly. Oh, I mean, really? if there's one that you're aware of that works, like, please let me know and I will test it. Have you tested Spank Chain? Loom network? No, we haven't tested Spank Chain, <laughs> but I like Spank Chain. They're cool guys. We actually interviewed with uh, <laughs> yeah. Amin. He was our oh, first yeah, guest. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. I saw him at DevCon. He's local. He's here in LA, like the Spank Chain team. Casa de Spank. Mm -hmm. They have like a big ass like penthouse or something like that. I don't know if they have it anymore. Sounds about right. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, those are cool dudes. They're doing some cool stuff. Loom Network is, is I believe, a Plasma sidechain on Ethereum. Yeah, um, I haven't looked into but Loom, I haven't... but I am familiar with it. So we're working on sharding right now. So we're working on the sharding P2P POC, which is, like, based on lib P2P. Uh, we're working with Ethereum Research on testing that. That's what we've been working on for a really long time. Um, it's just kind of slow going because a lot of the bottleneck actually stems from like the libp2p client itself. In more recent news, I started working on um, I started working on um, I started working with a couple of my friends on um, on a 1.x/2.0 implementation that we're calling Canto, which kind of uh, functions similar to like a like a sidechain kind of plasma thing. Really? Nondescript scaling solution? Right. Well, so what we're doing is we're kind of calling it, we're, like rather than calling it plasma or calling it something crazy, we're trying to like reduce it to like basic functions, liken it to what we understand of the current uh, like OSI stack, like TCP IP, right? So we're calling them subnets. Rather than re-architecting the entirety of Ethereum, what we're doing is we're, uh, we're just implementing a sub-protocol that allows nodes and miners to, um, to join subnets kind of like with specific network IDs. And these subnets can act as side chains or they can act as state channels or they can act as plasma, right? And it's, and it's all up to those participants to determine how they choose to interact within that subnet. So long as the uh, layer one EVM, like proof of work, isn't you know, um, compromised, uh, the subnets can do whatever they want. And they can operate independently or they can interact between one another. And um, that's all up to the participants to decide. So uh, the idea is to like allow people to choose how they want to interact with one another and uh, transact with one another. They're responsible for their own security at, at, um, at that point. So Can you explain what you're working on again, just in the most basic terms possible, just because it sounds interesting, yeah, but yeah. I still don't even understand. Yeah, so with, with plasma, <laughs> with like plasma and state channels and like side chains, a lot of these are a lot of these implementations are required to part, like interact with one another and interoperate, right? Mm -hmm. So rather than forcing anybody to do anything, we're and rather than needing to re-architect the entire stack for Ethereum, we're saying like here's layer one. Um, on top of layer one, through smart contracts, you can create your own subnet, which is like a subchain, mm -hmm. right? So we can either be an extension of that layer one EVM, that's proof of work, or we can decide, hey, we want to have proof of stake here, right? Or we want to have something like a state channel, or we want to do this or that or whatever. We can decide all of that. And these are ephemeral chains that are on top of the canonical chain. Is that similar at all to like how lightning on Bitcoin is working? It's kind of similar, except like it takes like a lot of the parts of these different concepts and just like takes the cool parts. So like these are ephemeral. So like, are you familiar with like Docker? 
containers? Yes. Okay, so you know how a Docker container, you could like build up a Docker container, run your application, and then destroy it, right? And it, and it doesn't affect your computer. Like your main computer is fine as long as you're, you're using Docker, right? And you can like screw up that application. It's really good for DevOps, right? So it's like the same kind of concept. Like we can create Docker containers within the EVM. Right? So these Docker containers can be running their own blockchain entirely. And uh, they don't even need to necessarily be a blockchain. It can be a state channel. Like you and I want to like uh, interact and we want to interact real quick. Let's create a subnet. Let's stake. Let's join that subnet. Now we can transact and do whatever we want when we leave. There's a staking event. It's all in the smart contract. And that preserves the layer one, the integrity of the layer one. And whatever happens in that subnet just happens between you and I. So if like there's some security error, that's our problem. It's not going to affect like anybody else. So I think that's a much better solution because implementing a, a, a like a, a sub protocol like this is pretty easy, and we already have a proof of concept. What's your opinion on how Bitcoin is being developed right now, and how Bitcoin is attempting to scale with these kind of like layer two system? It sounds like again you buy into that idea of keep the base. Proof of work, yeah. keep it secure, yeah. and then from there just use that to verify. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that the Bitcoin community is kind of like like a battlefield, <laughs> so it's like always really difficult to like navigate through. But I don't think there's anything wrong with the way Bitcoin is right now, and I think that I don't think that we need to necessarily like scale indefinitely. I think that there's the future of blockchain isn't like one blockchain rule of them all. It's going to be like different blockchains and different systems for specific use cases. And I think that Bitcoin is like a great store of value, something that's going to provide security and longevity. And I, I think it's fine the way that it is. So speaking of that, I know you do kind of have a hot take. You do think that Bitcoin will add some sort of constant inflation in order to keep it supported with some sort of block reward. Yeah. I would like to you know, kind of dig into that. I personally have strong opinions on why it won't, but... You think it won't? No, I, I don't think it won't. Well, think about like Roger Ver and like Craig Wright. There's always some like dickhead out there that's trying to like control a decentralized system. And it would be in their best uh, interest to ensure that they can continue to profit off of that system. So I think that some group of people somewhere along the lines is going to implement something that's going to uh, like increase the block reward, right? Or the total amount. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. But that would be a fork. Yeah, somebody's absolutely Yeah, that would a be fork. a fork. Yeah, definitely. So that's still not Bitcoin. Right. That's just some okay. dude making yeah, their own yeah, fork. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Well, I'm saying Bitcoin, BTC, what we all consider to be yeah. this thing is I don't think – personally, I don't think it can – If it, I don't think it, if it is successful, I do not think – that the block reward will matter because if it is successful, maybe the amount of uh, reward that a miner gets via transaction fees from a Satoshi perspective mm -hmm. is much lower than what we yeah, yeah, you know yeah, anticipate agree. working today. Well, but from a buying power perspective, it could be astronomically higher. Yeah, well, I think at that point it, it wasn't the wasn't the concept that uh, like miners would profit uh, like off of fees, right? Yes. Yeah, I mean. I know that you're a Bitcoin maximalist. <laughs> I'm a Bitcoiner. <laughs> no, but I, I, I mean, I agree with you. I like, I, I, I think Bitcoin is obviously the best out there. Obviously <laughs> the best out there. Well, Boom. I mean, it's been around, man. You can't go wrong with Bitcoin. Everything else, like anything else that does well is I, I support and I think it's great to experiment and get out there. But I don't think that anything is going to match Bitcoin ever. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Match in what terms? What's that? And what characteristics? Um... As far as, I mean, like, as far as, like... I mean, market cap is pretty easy. No, not market cap. I think that just, like, longevity and function and practicality, I think it's, like, a pretty well-designed system that took a long time. Like, if you, like, understand the history of, like, distributed systems and, like, consent, like distributed consensus and, like, I, I mean, th these are issues that people have been working on since the 80s, late 70s, right? And it took a really long time to figure out how to do it right. And I think that what... Satoshi Nakamoto came up with is just like, I would never have thought of anything like that ever. And I don't know. It's like a Frankenstein technology. A lot yeah. of people describe it like that. Yeah. I mean, it, I just have a lot of respect for that. So. All right. Um, I mean, we kind of covered all of our topics here. There's a lot of good shit. There's a lot of good shit. You have obviously have a lot of experience that I think a lot of people will uh, will gain from. And I, I, I doubt there are many people in the world that have worked with as many different blockchain solutions that you have. Um, mm. If you were to have like a message for all the people on Twitter pontificating about shit and making bold claims, what would it be? 
Uh, one, keep building. Um, like be humble and don't invest in blockchain or cryptocurrency because you want to make money. Like invest in the future because you eventually want to be able to use those crypto assets in place of traditional fiat and economic systems. So invest in a decentralized future. Don't invest because you want to profit because those days I think are largely over. Right. Well, do you th- not think that there's going to be like everyone, th- everyone is pointing towards, oh, when's the next bull run? When's the next bull run? Do you think there's not going to be much of a bull run in the future? I think those people are going to be like really salty on like Reddit. I don't, I mean, maybe there'll, there'll be a bull run, but there's no way to predict it. And I don't really care at this point. Like I already, I got in and I like cashed out and what I hold now I'm just holding because I think that in the future it's going to be practical and useful. I definitely think there's going to be another bull run. Maybe it's because Bitcoin people really? only care you, about price. Do you price. think it's practical that Bitcoin is going to go, like, would be able to sustain $20,000? Oh, hell yeah. Really? You think that's practical? If it has a legitimate value as a store of value and there is legitimate scarcity, like, let's just say okay. 7 yeah. billion people divide that by, let's say, 17 million coins, assuming that, uh, you know, there's three to six billion that are gone i don't know whatever you just divide it by however many coins you think are gonna be in circulation and then you know i mean but that's also much... assuming that like everybody in the world is gonna want a bitcoin yeah i was also gonna <laughs> like, <say> that. <laughs> like you know and uh that's also assuming that like everyone's going to see the value as well like some people don't care about that stuff like Need or greed, my friend. You're either going to need it or you're going to be greedy. That's the beauty of the system is that it it's fueled on greed or desperation. We will see. What are your takes Stay on like tuned. what's happening with Patreon and stuff like that? Uh, what, what's happening that? with no? Like oh, like right wing right wing people like getting kicked off of Patreon. Content producers uh, that are right wing getting kicked off Patreon. Mastercard, Visa, other payment processors deplatforming them. Oh really? No, I didn't know anything about that, but I don't think that censorship is I don't know I don't approve of censorship in any way, obviously. So I mean censorship resistant money that has a scarce supply. Yeah. I no, mean I eventually there's only you know, if people need censorship resistant money, then they're gonna have I to just turn don't, to Bitcoin. I just can't see like Bitcoin going up. Honestly, I think that Bitcoin hitting like twenty K was like some shady stuff that was going on. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> like, hell I don't, yeah. I, like, I think that, like, in combination with Tether and, like, a bunch of exchanges, <laughs> combination with Wall Street, when Futures came out, like, you know what I mean? Like, when Futures came out, it started to take a plummet. You remember, like, all that stuff? Well, yeah, that but that needed to have happened. Yeah, I mean... It wasn't going to go up anymore. It wasn't going to go to 40000 Well, 000. yeah, no shit. What, what happens yeah. when Bitcoin goes from, like, $500 to $20,000 and then Futures open up? They're not going <laughs> to yeah, bet right, on it going yeah. higher. I mean, it's an unregulated market. <laughs> I just don't think that twenty k is, like, a sustainable price point and that it'll... Ever? Um, maybe in, like, 100 years after we're all dead... And our kids are like oh, fighting God. over Bitcoin, like trying to like stab each other for our like thumb drives and treasures. I think it's gonna be a hundred weeks. <laughs> really, you think so? You guys are pretty optimistic. I should cash in. I should I should stock back up. I should re up. There is another having coming up. I know that you know you That's did make money right? on that. Yeah, you made money on that on the last having. Dude, I remember when that having happened. It was like I was like, dude, Brexit's about to happen, and Bitcoin was like. Uh, it was pushing 600 and I was like, dude, it's pushing 600. And then we like cashed out our, uh, we, we, we literally like maxed out a company credit card to buy Bitcoin. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> and honestly though, that was probably the best business decision I made in the history of that company. <laughs> like, cause where's that company now? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it's not, I'm not doing that anymore, <laughs> but you know what I still have? Some of that Bitcoin, dude. I'm still holding some of that. <laughs> like, you know? <laughs> so You're still up big. Dude, I, I think we should have put out taken out another like business loan, dude, and just like put all our put our entire LLC on Bitcoin. Man. And that's how a bull run starts. Yeah, I, I knew it, dude. I Hindsight knew it. 2020. Well, yeah. hey, there is another having. Why are you fighting that heuristic? I man? don't know, man. I think that people are gonna I don't think I think that like there's too much people too many people are aware of it now. Like there's too many like opposing forces like at play now there are too many people that want bitcoin and blockchain to fail you know what i mean so they're going to do whatever it takes to like suppress that movement but isn't that what decentralization is about is to 
prevent that right but it comes down to what's the strength of decentralization versus like an entire like global government and like a history of economic and like financial systems that are like riding on like uh on this stuff failing and like you know we're we're like we present a tangible threat to like a lot of these systems i think if you get a lot of centralized entities or like governments or institutions who for whatever reason come out and say like hey we're trying to we're, we're going to try and not make bitcoin a thing i think you actually are end up incentivizing a much wider broader subset of people to actually make sure that bitcoin works and i think that would that that would inflate the price no no i agree i agree but i don't think that that process or that struggle or that battle is going to be like moonshots like you know what i mean i think it's going to be like a yeah, bloody it's going to be a bloody battle the same way it's been for this past year and it's going to keep going for a little while and then they'll probably we'll we'll see like greener pastures but i think that we're all like in it right now and we're in the thick of it and we got to keep fighting and building things that work and don't just bullshit and say that it's like a million TPS or whatever. Focus on practical applications, stuff that my dad can use without requiring right. anything more than like a mobile phone or like a what, like a browser. I like the uh, the crack grandma heuristic. Your crack crackhead grandma needs to be able to <laughs> yeah, use right. the application. Yeah. All right, so we kind of got a little bit on a little tangent there, but I'm glad that we got good, a though. conflicting opinion because David and I, no matter what our opinions are about each other's. Uh, Blockchain preferences are both uber bulls, so it's good yeah. to kind of get someone who is a little bit more, uh, I guess, grounded, if you will. I don't Zach. know, man. Like, like a couple, like I was testing Beam, right? And like, I got super bullish on Beam because they had like relatively coherent documentation. <laughs> like, 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 like I was like, damn, Beam knows what's up. It was only like eighty percent coherent. Like, you know what I mean? Like That's the standard. <laughs> I think that needs to be like a sobering reality. All right. So for all, for all <coughs> those Uber bulls out there listening to this podcast, bring them back down to earth right now. Bring them back down because you are in the weeds. You're in, yeah. the, you're in the trenches and most of us are just on Twitter. What's, what's a valid opinion you have that will make me go to Coinbase and sell all my crypto? Uh, should have done that two days ago, bro. I don't want I don't <laughs> want you to sell your crypto. Don't get me wrong. Everyone should just keep buying, right? Just cash out. Take take out another mortgage, you know? Get some more Bitcoin, dude. Get some Ethereum. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Just do your research, man, and don't just buy it because some guy on, like, Reddit told you to do it. Like, look at the GitHubs. I know GitHub is, like, a stupid metric because, like, those can be faked and everything. Someone was asking me what I think of Tezos. Dude, let me go to this Tezos, like, GitHub real quick, man. Like, look at this. They're like, hey, are you going to test? Are you going to test Tezos? Look at Tezos. All right. So I click I click on Tezos repository and I go and I look at it and I see like what commits they've had. No commits. They don't even have a they don't have any code. What are they doing? How can I test Tezos? Why are people buying this? You see what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what this is. What is it? What is this going to do? It's looking pretty barren. Look at this. Look at this right here. Past year of activity. Flatlining, dude. When I see a flat line, I'm going to be like, Grandma is dead. <laughs> so Tezos is dead? No, I don't think Tezos. I don't know enough about Tezos. All I know is that like, I went to go check out their code base. I don't read white papers. I don't look at marketing hype. I don't care about Twitter. I don't know about any of your, like, whatever you guys do with your charts and shit like that, whatever it's called, TA. I don't know about that stuff, man. I go to the I go to the GitHub. I try to find some code. I try to get the system running to see what it does, what it really does. And 90% of the time, it does nothing. You heard it here. All right, guys. I think we're almost at an hour. We're going to have to get Zach back on the show. Um, this is, yeah, this is some fire content. Some uh, This is the shit that you get on POV crypto, guys. We get the POV. POV. The point of V. <laughs> so, Zach, where can people find you? I mean... Obviously, all of our listeners are going to follow you now. What, what, what's your Twitter? What's your medium? Where, where uh, can people find you online? I'm, at, I'm on Twitter at 0xzak. Whiteblock.io is the website. And I try to maintain a very small internet footprint because Big Brother's watching and they're making money off of your data. So put it on the blockchain and monetize it. I'd also like nice. to note that, that nice. we've been drinking whiskey pretty consistently through this <laughs> so everything that we have said here is not any advice of any sort not sober advice and i don't represent white block all right this is zach cole coming at you live all right <laughs> 
my my opinions are my own. Yeah. All right, guys. So yeah, you can follow me online on Twitter at ck underscore snarks. David, where can they find you, my friend? You can find me both on Medium and on Twitter at Trustless State. All right, guys, signing off here from Los Angeles. We got some amazing shows coming up. Make sure to follow the show on Twitter at POV Crypto Pod. Uh, subscribe, rate, review. You know the drill. See you next time. Peace. That was awesome. Will you just